Hope everybody had a great Christmas. Uh, I had a pretty awesome Christmas. Uh, so if you go to this church, you probably have seen my son Judah running around this, uh, this place like he owns it. And um, last, year, last year was technically his first Christmas, but Judah was still a little bit new last year. He was only like four, four and a half months old uh, last Christmas. And so this Christmas was a fun Christmas, especially because my in-laws got Judah one of those four and a half foot tall basketball hoops. And so we have been doing nothing but just playing basketball in his room for the last couple days. It's just been awesome and exhausting. And my father-in-law taught him how to play defense. And so every time you have the basketball in your hand and you're in Judah's room, he goes right in front of you and he just gets down like this. You know, a little one-year-old just, you know, hunching over like this. And so it's the cutest thing ever. I had an awesome, awesome Christmas. How many of you guys are ready for the new year? Ready or not, it's coming. It's only a couple days away. And so around this time of year, uh, there are two kinds of lists that people begin creating. Uh, December, uh, the list is for Christmas, obviously. You know, you're you're just focused on the things that, the wishes and wants that you, you want for Christmas. The other list, however, that really begins maybe I would say around Thanksgiving that people begin thinking about is another list of wishes and wants, but this one is more of a longer list uh, and has a greater impact, and it's the New Year's resolutions list. Uh, How many of us have already started to think about our New Year's resolutions for 2020? I've thought of a couple. People make all sorts of resolutions, financial, social, physical, spiritual, and uh, in 2018, I made a uh, resolution uh, that I just wanted to get back into doing something that I loved, uh, which was going to the gym. I love exercising. I always have since I was like 13 years old, just because I grew up playing sports. And so I made the resolution in 2018 to do some form of exercise every single day of the year. Uh, it, it, was, it was a very hard resolution to keep. Uh, however, I kept it. It was extremely difficult because you would hit milestones like, yes, 100 days in a row, I still have 265 to go. So it was a little discouraging when you, you know, realize that other end of uh, the, the resolution. But it was awesome, and, uh, you know, again, I have a son. My son was born in 2018. How in the world did I manage that? Well, while my wife was in the labor room, uh, we were there for 15 hours, she was sleeping, and I was like, all right, I have nothing better to do. So I just started doing push-ups and sit-ups and squats and all sorts of things right there in the hospital room. I was committed to that resolution that I had made. And uh, I had made that resolution many years, and I've tried to do it so many times and failed. And so I was like, all right, I need to do it once just so that I could tell Judah, hey, I made that resolution and I did it. You know, if, if you want to do things like that, you can just put your mind to it. And so I was, I was more stubborn about it. But a resolution by definition is a firm decision to do or not do something or the quality of being determined or resolute. Uh, Admirably uh, purposeful, determined, and unwavering. So it's being determined, purposeful, and unwavering in a decision that you are making. Uh, These are all traits that build character and integrity. Uh, These are all traits that will help you, again, with your practical resolutions and even spiritual resolutions. We as believers make all sorts of spiritual resolutions. How many of you have spiritual resolutions for 2020? I know I have a a lot uh, that I want to do. Resolutions like be more in the word and not just read the word, but ask questions and understand what you're reading. Uh, How many of you journal while you pray? 
Some people make the resolution that, hey, I want to start journal, uh, journaling uh, my prayer times and my devotion, uh, devotional times. Uh, some people want to worship more privately. Essentially, all these things can be summed up into one phrase. We want to draw closer to God. And I think one resolution that all believers should make every single year is, Lord, help me to lead someone to you in the coming year. And we, it, it should sound like a prayer like this, and I, I want us to all say this prayer and kind of make this our heart's cry for 2020. And so uh, we're going to say this prayer, and I just want you to repeat after me for just a moment. Lord, lead me. Create, in, uh, create for me divine appointments to build authentic relationships with people who are lost so that you can build a bridge from my heart to their heart so that you can cross over that bridge into their heart. God, use me as your servant to expand your kingdom by showing someone who doesn't know you how much you love them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we make that prayer for 2020 for ourselves? Let's all make that prayer and let's all make that resolution that I'm going to be open as, as we just went through the series of seizing the moment. I'm going to be open in 2020 to allow the Lord to use me in ways that I might naturally find uncomfortable for his glory and for the expansion of his kingdom. I mean, what would happen if every person who attended Grace Assembly led one person to the Lord in 2020? We would definitely need to expand to three services. If we thought that we had parking lot problems now, we would definitely have parking lot problems. People are probably going to need to park all the way up on the hill, which is awesome in my case, unless if it's winter, then they probably shouldn't do that. Uh, but as, as intimidating as a problem uh, that, that that sounds, imagine what would happen in our surrounding communities and in the lives of people all around us. As Pastor Doug said during our Christmas Eve services, that all of heaven would be celebrating and rejoicing because lost sons and daughters would finally be returning home. Uh, the kingdom uh, potential that exists in any gathering of believers is amazing. And I, I like to view it as we are all seeds. We know what seeds are. I mean, come on, we, we like fruit, we like food. We all know what seeds, seeds are. And uh, this, past, uh, Christmas, uh, th this past Christmas week, uh, Rachel and her mom decided that they just wanted to take it upon themselves to make apple crumble with vanilla ice cream on top. And mm, it was so good. And if you're uh, making any uh, dieting resolutions, I'm sorry that I'm saying this in front of you. Uh, but uh, while they were cutting up the apples and stuff like that, I, I was looking at the apple seeds and I intended to bring some this service and I just totally forgot them. And so my wife texted me and she said, I'll bring them next service. Uh, but we're all like a seed. And if you look at an apple seed, it is so small, but, but, but the potential that is inside of it is huge. Uh, if one seed reached its potential on becoming an apple tree, it has the potential to produce about 800 apples per season. One seed, 800 apples in one season. Uh, that's not the only growth to consider because every apple has an average of 13 seeds within it. So 800 apples times 13 seeds is 10,400 seeds. 
This one seed in reaching its potential in becoming a tree has the ability to multiply itself 10,400 times in one season. Imagine what would happen if we reached the potential that God has created us to reach. Imagine if we become the men and women that God has created us to be. Imagine the potential uh, of, of just expansion and multiplying that is within us. But do you, know that the first, do you know the first thing that needs to happen for any of this to take place? The seed needs to die. It has to be dried out completely and essentially die in order for the potential within it to come forward. And I'm going to come back to this for a moment, so just hold on to that. Spiritual resolutions are great, but making those resolutions are only step one in the resolution process. The very next thing that we would have to do in the resolution-making process is making a game plan so that we can succeed in the resolutions that we're making for ourselves. Uh, if we don't make a game plan, then all, the list, uh, all, all that list of things that we would like to do and you know, our resolutions, all it is is wishful thinking and, and reality. Uh, that I like the idea of getting better in these things, but that's about it, just liking the idea. Uh, keeping them will take work. Uh, this is not just for, again, practical and financial resolutions. This is for every resolution that you will make, and I just want to hit on the spiritual ones today. If we're going to make the commitment to be open to be uh, used by the Holy Spirit to lead someone to Jesus in 2020, then we need to understand that we have as much access to God that we could ever want or need. Uh, we can come to him in prayer at any moment of any day. We can worship at any moment of any day. We can sit still quietly in his presence at any moment of any day. We have as much access to God as we want, but we have to be actively pursuing him on a daily basis. You can't expect to draw close to somebody if you're not spending time with that individual. And so back to the seed for just a moment. If the first thing the seed must do is die to multiply itself, and we are seeds, then does that mean that we too must die in order for the potential within us to be brought into fruition? So what do we do, what, what do, we do to die to ourselves? What do we need to do, rather, to die to ourselves? The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This life I now live in the body, uh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So how did Paul die to himself so that it was Christ who lived in him? How can we, how can we become like Paul in passionately following Jesus as he did? I believe perspective is key. Um, the Apostle Paul had this perspective that viewed all things in light of eternity. This perspective is what I want to use today to kind of lay the foundation for the message. And so the main passage of scripture that I'll be going through is Philippians 3. I have 4, uh, four through 10 up there, but I'm actually going to begin at verse 1, a last minute uh, audible decision I made last night. Uh, beginning in verse 1, it says, In addition, my brothers and sisters, re uh, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Uh, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we uh, are of the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God. 
Uh, boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. That's the, that's the phrase that really begins what I want us to grasp today. Boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Verse four, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks they have grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in uh, Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. The perspective that Paul had was that all things were a loss in comparison to the value of just simply knowing who Jesus was and is. It almost perfectly echoes Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes. Uh, Solomon was a king in Israel who pursued, he, he had wealth, he had power, and he pursued all the earthly things that any person could ever want, pleasures and money and possessions and all sorts of things. And at, at the end of it, Solomon's conclusion was that it's all meaningless. You could pursue all those things, but in and of themselves and by themselves, it is all meaningless. He sought after everything and he came to that conclusion. That, that meaning was essentially found in only God, in God alone. Jesus was Paul's everything, just like Solomon. God was his everything. We truly need Jesus to be our everything in 2020 if we want to succeed in our spiritual resolutions and drawing near to him. And we need Jesus to be our everything if we want others to see the joy of the Lord in our lives despite our circumstances. And that's when they begin asking questions themselves. They begin saying things like, I know what you're going through. I know your situation. How are you so full of life despite your situation? What do you know that I don't that is causing you to be so full of joy? What is it that you have that I don't? From the moment Jesus enters our hearts to the day he returns or calls us home to be with him, maintaining Paul's perspective is key to making our dying to self so that Christ may live within us a, a daily thing. It is key in making our surrender uh, to Jesus a daily surrender. And there are a few points that I, I want to draw from Paul's perspective in this passage. The first being more of a statement be mindful of the source of your confidence. Be mindful of the source of your confidence. One thing that comes naturally to us is to be able to, uh, is to, be able to see the fault in other individuals. A decision someone makes, something they say, habits, and even their driving skills. Uh, how many of us just, we, we leave church on a Sunday or we're on church on a Sunday, some guy cuts you off and man, it's just like, you, you, need, you need prayer at that moment. You're just like, Lord, I need, I need strength right now. God, I need grace. I need mercy, Lord. I, I need help 
right now, Lord. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, my dad is a very aggressive driver. And uh, when I was growing up, somehow all the dummies on the road came out to drive when he was driving, and I only came to that conclusion because my dad would, in other words, call people dummies. Uh, I'll, let you, I'll let your mind wander where it wants to with that, and you're probably right. Uh, but so, for some reason, all the bad drivers came out when my dad was driving, and he was so quick to point to them, and they're driving in this and that, and they're not going the speed limit, or you're allowed to go five miles per hour over the speed limit. Let's go, pick it up, and you know, you kind of just push them, and one of the things that I just hated about living in New York City was streetlights. The moment a streetlight turns green in New York City, if you are not inching forward and already moving, you're getting beeped at by everybody in that line. It's like an orchestra of horns behind you just telling you, go, start moving. And so we're, we're, we're so good at pointing out other people's flaws and shortcomings within them, and we find it difficult to be able to take a personal inventory of what's going on within us, and, and that's true of, for many reasons. The first being it requires transparency. And even when we're being transparent with ourselves, sometimes we find that uncomfortable if we aren't transparent frequently with ourselves. Uh, if we find something wrong, then we feel defeated and broken and, broken and we just don't know what to do in that moment. Uh, People find it difficult to take personal inventories because they're blinded by uh, their own shortcomings because of justifications that they make for themselves. And essentially, we are blinded by pride. And Paul uses verse one, uh, Paul uses one verse rather, out of these 10 to warn you about other people. But then Paul takes the time to use four to five verses to talk about the dangers that are within ourselves, specifically the dangers within himself. He, he hits on the area of pride pretty hard right here in these verses. Paul wrote as though he were challenging the Judaizers to a showdown. Uh, his preliminary, uh, preliminary conclusion before he even got to specifics was that no matter what advantage was brought forth by his opponents, he had a greater advantage to theirs in being righteous by the law. Has anyone ever had a one-up argument with somebody? You say something like, I got this, and that other person's like, well, I got this and that, which makes this so much better. And it just keeps going back and forth. Kids do this a lot. Uh, if, you, if you notice or you remember being uh, a kid and just having these just constant things with people like, I have this superpower. Well, I have this superpower that defeats that superpower. Oh, yeah, well, I have this shield right here that makes that superpower useless. And it just goes on back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And Paul was essentially using this method not from a place of arrogance but to communicate, I have had it all. The things that people want, I had. He had the power being a Pharisee, being a Pharisee, he also had authority and recognition. He had social status. He had an education, which not many people in that day did. Having, having Roman citizenship, he was in with the big-time players of that day. And like Solomon, Paul, uh, having genuinely encountered Jesus, having been transformed after only one encounter with Jesus, considered all of those things meaningless. In fact, he goes as far as to call them dung. Many times in my life, uh, 
and many times in our lives, rather, we place too much confidence in our abilities, gifts, and talents, uh, and uh, it all, all it takes is really one unfortunate situation, circumstance, or accident to take many things away. People who depend on great athletic ability to take them far, all it takes is just one blown knee or one broken this or one torn this, and it's like everything all of a sudden changes. Uh, people with great voices, all it takes is just straining those vocal cords just so hard, just one time or, or getting some sort of disease. Like my father-in-law, he, he had a, a disease when he was a kid that basically was going to stop him from talking, and he knew that he was supposed to be a preacher, and he knew that this was the devil's way of trying to hold him back from reaching the potential that he had within him. And through prayer and through faith in God, God completely healed him. And my, my father-in-law is a pastor today, and he's been a pastor uh, all his life and all, all the time that I have known him. Uh, whatever it may be, uh, the gift in and of itself is good, but when used to glorify God, those gifts are great. Uh, growing up playing sports, uh, I had to play sports growing up. I was born with really bad asthma. And so I was always just doing running sports and all sorts of things, basketball, baseball, and just absolutely loving it. And then when I was in seventh, seventh grade, I got introduced to football. I love football. It was the greatest excuse to have a bad day and hit somebody after, and it was encouraged. It was awesome. And so uh, around that time, I, I discovered what the gym was. Uh, and when I started working out, I couldn't even bench press the bar, which was only 45 pounds. And so you, you can imagine, and I'm sure if you go back on my Facebook and just scroll back on my pictures, you will see a very skinny, frail Pablo that this current Pablo ate and devoured. <laughs> um, but uh, so throughout the years, I just began to grow confidence in my strength and my natural ability to just be strong uh, just because I began lifting at a, at a young age and I absolutely loved lifting and I was also extremely stubborn. Uh, I would always find the biggest person in the room and try and make them my workout partner so that I, I eventually one day could outgrow them in things that they could do and then need to find another person who was stronger or this or that. Um, and so... Needless to say, it was almost natural for me to get a little proud with the strength that I had within me. Um, and when I, when I was in college, uh, I, I was working out in the gym. This was after uh, my sophomore year. I stayed on campus to work. I worked on the grounds crew and maintenance crew, just taking care of the campus and doing some uh, projects that they wanted done over the summer. And so uh, I would usually work maybe a 10-hour day doing that, and then I would go to the gym on campus right after and then go to my room, shower, take care of myself, eat, and, you know, just, just enjoy the rest of my day. And I remember it, I mean, as if it happened yesterday. It was June 1st, 2013. Uh, I, was done, uh, I was done with uh, working. I was just kind of washing my hands and washing up a little bit. That way I wouldn't get the equipment dirty in our, our gym. And I was uh, doing a workout with two of my buddies. And literally, this was the last set possible. Like, we were done after this. I had gone to the local grocery store. I got a rotisserie chicken that I was going to eat all by myself. I was so excited for what I was going to have for dinner after a, a long 10-hour day and then working out for about an hour. And I was on a Smith machine, which if you don't know what a Smith machine is, it's basically the machine that has that bar that's attached to it that basically adds a, it acts as a spotter 
without you actually having a spotter. And um, I had that bar hooked up top because I just hate that bar. And so I had it locked, you know, it was on uh, one of the things that locks it into place. And our school had uh, hooks that were basically an extension so that you could use a free bar if you didn't like the bar that was attached. And I was using that. And while I was bench pressing that bar, I was literally, this was my last set. I'm telling you guys, I was so close to that rotisserie chicken. I was, I was just finishing, I rack up that bar, and before I could even let that bar go, the other bar came down on my face. Um, I was doing decline bench press, so I was basically upside down, blood rushing to your head, and the other bar, which was about maybe seven or eight feet high at that point because I was doing decline, all that stopped it was my face, which is why I have this lovely scar here. Uh, it was a great conversation with my mom. She's like, your face is ruined, and me being a guy, I'm like, I got an awesome scar. <laughs> but that situation was a life-changing uh, situation, life-altering. It was a big moment in my life for me, just because in that moment, you know, when you have a near-death, you know, experience, you kind of reflect a little bit on your life. <laughs> if you don't change after a near-death experience, then, I don't know, you, you need prayer. Um, but in that moment, I realized that I could potentially die right here just because uh, the, the bar lacerated everything. My muscles were gone right there on my face. My, my nerves were gone. I instantly could not feel anything, which was a blessing because I couldn't feel it. I haven't had a headache since. But it was also scary because I didn't know how bad it was uh, until I saw my friends' reactions around me. And it was so bad that when I pulled the bar off my face and I rolled over, uh, I spit a part of a couple of my teeth out because it hit me that hard that my jaw just shut and, you know, teeth blew out. Um, and I remember being rushed to the hospital and it was kind of just being in and out of consciousness, just, you know, worrying like, God, is this it? Lord, I'm only like 20, 22, 21 years old. God, is, is this, this really it for me? Is this the end? Uh, is my time on this earth done? And uh, I remember kind of just making the decision that, well, if this, is, if this is it, you know, if something's about to happen, uh, I want to go out, you know, giving glory to God. I want to go out praising God and honoring him. And so while I was rushed to the hospital, I was rushed in, all of a sudden, like, it was almost as if all the doctors and nurses in that hospital were in that room waiting for me. Uh, I just began to just share with them, and I just began to talk with them. And um, it, was, it was such an amazing experience because I walked out of that hospital without a concussion, I walked out of that hospital without bleeding or swelling in my brain. I walked out of that hospital with just a laceration on my face. No crack in the skull, no nothing. And the doctors literally told me, you should be worse off than you are. In fact, if the bar had fallen, like even a half a centimeter uh, over, your eye would be gone. Because the scar starts right here in the corner of my eye. And they basically said, you should be worse off than what you are. How are we speaking to you right now? Your brain essentially should be splattered on that wall. Um, and I got to just share with them. And one of the nurses after, before I was discharged, she came up to me and she had a conversation with me. And she said, from the moment you walked in this room, I knew that you were a believer. Because from the moment you were rolled into this room, even though the situation was crazy, even though it was hectic and we needed to do it, all the tests and scans, 
There was a peace and a warmth in that room that I could not understand. And I, I took that as an encouragement for me because I don't know if this nurse was, you know, maybe just a couple days or weeks uh, just because of, uh, you know, calling out to God and not hearing from him or this or that. I don't know if she was just a couple moments away from just giving up and just letting God completely go. But in that moment, I was able to just share with her uh, through just my faith in God, through my confidence in him, uh, whether, uh, whether it was my moment to go with him, hey, I'm with him, or whether I get to live, I get to continue to live. But just through my faith in him, I was able to encourage somebody that could have uh, been on the verge of losing their faith. And it was, a, uh, it, it was a, just a life-changing moment for me where I just truly made the decision, Lord, I'm sold out. God, I am sold out for you. Lord, if, if that was my last day on earth, you know, I began to also reflect on the things that I, I had done pr uh, previously that, you know, weren't glorifying to God. And maybe, you know, if somebody saw me doing this or saying that and stuff like that would be a contradiction. And that was the moment in my life where I just said, Lord, everything else is meaningless. Lord, everything else is meaningless. Because the only thing that matters at the end of my life is whether I had a genuine relationship with you or not. Paul goes on to just say all things that people can find pride in, all things are completely meaningless. I can, I, I can reflecting over my life, I can truly say that that was the day that I truly began living confidently in Jesus, sold out wholeheartedly. And it's amazing because, you know, you would think, a student who goes to Bible college, they're in Bible college for two years, all sorts of this and that. You know, you would think that those were like the superstars of the youth group, you know, but people are people. People have baggage. Uh, people also need to daily surrender to God so that they can become the man or woman that God has created them to be. And it was at that moment where I just truly let things go and just surrendered completely. Some place too much confident even in their ability to get out of a bad situation. But what happens when you can't? All of a sudden, in an instant, you're faced with the reality that you cannot do it by yourself. You cannot make it by yourself, and you need help. Doubtless, Paul considered his life-transforming conversion on the Damascus Road as the time when he switched from confidence in the flesh to confidence in Christ and Christ alone. Uh, growing up, uh, I didn't have the, the, the best of situations. Uh, my parents divorced when I was very young. Um, and uh, towards, towards uh, my, you know, I was maybe five, uh, six, seven, eight, like all the way to like 10 years old and stuff like that. You know, they were, they were very big partying uh, years for uh, my mom just because, you know, it was the end of her 20s and, you know, 30s were beginning and, you know, it seems like, you know, for some reason people are scared about being 30. Uh, I'm, I'm I'll, I'll be 27 in like a week and so I'm, I'm getting closer to 30. I'm excited about it. Uh, but uh, for some reason, many people think that, oh man, that's the end of everything. And so they were the partying years and sometimes those parties followed home. And uh, when I was a kid, I was exposed to a lot of things that a kid should never be exposed to. And I began to develop this stubborn mentality that, uh, for lack of a better word, life sucks. And what you get out of it, you know, what, what you get out of it is what you take, the lessons that you learn from your situations, 
and, and learn those lessons. That way you can better yourself when you have more control over your life. And so I just became a stubborn kid. Like, I, I wasn't going to be one of those people that allowed my situation to be an excuse as to why I'm this way. Or I, I wasn't going to let my situation, this was pre-God, I didn't know God at this time. Uh, I, I wasn't going to allow my situations and hard experiences as a kid determine that, that I was going to be, you know, this, an alcoholic for this or this or that. I just determined in my mind and in my heart, I will never put my kids through some of the things that I experienced. I will be so stubborn to not let my kids experience some of my experiences. And so uh, time went on, you know, things got better, you know, all, all sorts of stuff. Um, my parents were fighting for custody for about 10 years until my dad finally won custody uh, when we were teenagers. And so for the remainder of my high school years, I got, uh, I got to live with my dad and just enjoy him uh, some more. And um, then just something, it, it was like in one year, my mom was having a surgery to get her gallbladder removed, and uh, she was given a medicine that she was allergic to, and uh, basically she was put in a coma for a week, and when she woke up, her motor skills were gone. She had to learn how to walk and talk again, and you know, years and years of physical therapy, and even physically, she still needs to go to uh, uh, physical therapy to just continue regaining the strength for her walking. Um, and... Uh, my dad, when companies were just firing hundreds of people, he lost his job. Uh, he was one out of like 400 employees that were fired from his job. And so in that situation, again, it was just like, man, you know, do I give up? Like, what, what, what do I do? We can't catch a break, you know. Um, my dad lost his job, meaning we got evicted from our homes and, you know, moving around and so much stuff. My mom lost her job. She got evicted from home. She's moving around and stuff. So when we stayed with mom, when we stayed with dad, it was almost like a different place every time we went from uh, the beginning of my high school career to my senior year, we moved about 13 times. And so there was never a stable place for me to call home. But again, I was not going to say, uh, you know, this is the reason why I'm this. This is the reason why I'm that. I made a stubborn decision in my heart to not let my circumstances uh, determine the outcome of my life or my situation in the future. Um, you know, and, and I know what it is to go through those things without God and I know what it is to go through those things with God and having a relationship with him and, and reflecting over my life, you know, because again, this time of year, you just reflect and you make those resolutions. Reflecting over my life, I see how much God had his hand in my life. I see how much God was involved with my life even before, years before I ever acknowledged him as my personal Lord and Savior you know, it, it, it was as if when the, when the switch happened, you know, it, it was as if I had nothing. I didn't have a stable home. I didn't have this. My parents didn't have stable jobs. And it was a lot easier for me to consider all things a loss like Paul did. But what I gained was more valuable than anything this world could ever give me. The second point in today's message is when all is a loss, Christ is gained. When all is a loss, Christ is gained. And when Christ is gained, you gain life. You gain purpose, drive, mercy, grace, and identity. And if I could have the worship team come up at this moment, those who gain Christ, according to verse 8, are those who are found in him, verse 9. Christ is in the believer, and the believer is in Christ. 
And Paul wanted his life to demonstrate these truths. Being in Christ, he was not clinging to any righteousness of his own uh, doing, uh, own doing associated with law-keeping. Such a righteousness is viewed by God as uh, not righteousness, but rather filthy rags, according to Isaiah 64. The righteousness which saves and in which Paul rested is through faith in Christ. This is the only kind uh, which comes from God and is by faith and faith alone in Jesus. When a believing sinner responds in faith to the Spirit's work in his or her heart, he or she is clothed in righteousness from Christ. In this position, he or she is accepted into the beloved. Thus robed, the believing sinner stands complete in Christ. So how do we die to ourselves so that Christ can be the one who lives within us? Well, upon knowing, uh, upon knowing Jesus, either by his word, by a dream or vision, someone sharing with you, or a message that is spoken that you listen to, you accept him into your heart and begin to live according to his will for your life. Allow him to do a continuous work in your heart, which is called sanctification. It's not just a one-time decision, but a daily surrender, waking up every morning for the rest of your life on this earth saying, Lord, I choose you today. I choose to live according to your will today and not my own. I choose to live for you and you alone. Lead me, guide me, and may I honor you in all that I do or say. If you want, like a seed, all the potential that is within you to come to fruition, step one is die to self. If we want all the potential that 2020 holds for us to come to fruition that way we could be at this very moment next year about to change the calendar over and, and reflect and say, God truly had his hand on my life in 2020. It starts in moments like this where we have an opportunity to say, Lord, I choose you. Even if you've, even if you've been a follower for the last decade, you, you still have the opportunity to say, Lord, I choose you again today. God, I choose to follow you. If we're going to commit to leading at least one person to Christ in 2020, then like Paul, we need to maintain the perspective of viewing everything in light of eternity. This perspective will give you hope in difficult times. It will be a continuous force to help you choose Jesus every day. And it will help you make sure that your relationships in 2020 are meaningful with the potential for eternal impact.